Uh, as I just was praying, we are starting a new uh, series of talks today that will lead us, Lord willing, through the rest of the summer. We've just finished Esther, and in Esther we came to see that God is always at work for the good of his people. And at times that's easy to see, and at other times it's exceedingly difficult to see. And so how do we learn to see God when we can't really see him? Well, one of the ways we do that, maybe the chief way, is by looking at the scriptures and gaining a better understanding of just who God is. What are his character traits? How does he work? What is he like? So for the summer, we're going to, Lord willing, spend a lot of time considering that together. Today will sort of serve as an introduction to that. But before we jump into the new series, I wanted to introduce a little bit of a change in some ways we're going to do things. And let me read a scripture to set us up for that. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, we see, You then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. One of the things I appreciate the most about Church on Mill is that for decades, we have a history of doing that. We have a history of investing in other people, seeing God raise them up to either continue to serve here among this church family or to be sent out to do that in other places. And so we're thankful for that legacy that God has given us because that allows us to be faithful to what the scriptures teach us today. We're continuing to seek ways we can do that as a church family. And one of those ways I want to tell you about this morning. Many of you are uh, aware that Nathaniel Carlson, who is over here, why don't you just come on up here? Uh, Nathaniel, Nathaniel joined our uh, church staff to lead our worship several years ago as he has been working on a degree at Phoenix Seminary. He recently graduated, and uh, yes, double applause. Nathaniel uh, recently graduated with uh, a Master's of Divinity. He knows the scriptures well and is a man that I uh, respect. And over his time here at Church on Mill, Nathaniel and Leanne have come to see that Nathaniel's real calling seems to be not primarily in the leading of God's people in worship and song, but the leading of God's people in worship through teaching. And so uh, Nathaniel and Leanne love the Church on Mill family and uh, have been going through a process of praying about what God's next step would be for them. And they have reached the conclusion that the Lord is leading them to seek a full-time pastorate somewhere. And so they are looking for where that will be and where the Lord would have them take on that kind of role, essentially doing uh, more of the kind of work uh, that you see me do here on a weekly basis. So they're in that process. And We as a personnel team and leadership team have been considering how can we continue to encourage them and equip them in the process of seeking that kind of role. And so beginning today, Nathaniel is going to start preaching on the first Sunday of each month, and we'll just open the word and present us in the series that we're already in. So I hope that you will receive him as a man who loves the Lord and has studied the scriptures at a really in-depth level. 
And also a, a part of that is uh, we continue to have uh, Hansley Musat, who is here, who is leading in our worship today. Uh, Hansley is in his uh, second year. He finished a year being a pastoral intern, and we asked him if he would continue on. He's done just a fabulous job. I think the guy can do everything under the sun. It is um, disgusting and annoying and also inspiring. So uh, Hansley ultimately believes that the Lord will send him back to Haiti to serve in churches there in a much-needed work, and he's still seeking wisdom and working on school and all those kinds of things. So Hansley is, begin, is going to begin leading us in worship uh, twice a month, and that will offset the month, uh, the, the week that Nathaniel's leading, and then give Nathaniel opportunity to exercise some other gifts. So wanted to let you know about those changes for a church family. And so in families, you're upfront and honest about things. And so we just want to be candid with you about those things. And would you join me in thanking Nathaniel as he comes to bring the scriptures? Well, thank you, Chuck, for sharing. And thank you, church, for, for praying for Leanne and I through the season of seminary. I know that so many of you have shared that you were praying with us and encouraging us through that. And I know many of you are praying and talking with us through this, this new season. And so I'm thankful and really grateful to be in a body that loves Christ but that also loves each other. So let's pray before we get into our sermon this morning. Lord, we sang that You are a God who reigns in majesty. You are a God who should amaze us if we see You rightly. So I pray today that through the truth of Your Word, we would see You truly. Open our eyes. Open our ears and open our hearts to what you would say through your spirit, through your word. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Chuck shared, we're starting this morning our new series called Behold Our God. And the whole idea of this series is that we would look at the scriptures and see how they describe our God, what he's like who He is, and two things would happen. One, we'd, we'd grow in our knowledge of God. But we don't want this just to be a head exercise. We also want to have our hearts changed. And so the goal of these next of this week and the next 11 is that as we open up the Scriptures, God will open up our eyes to see who He is, and then we'll go away a changed people. So I'd invite you just over these next weeks to, to pray that that would happen in your life, but also pray for myself and Chuck and others who share that God would do a work in our church through these messages. So last week we finished up the book of Esther, and if you were with us for any of these sermons in Esther, one of the things that you heard, a big part of the message of Esther, is that God is at work even when we can't see it. So does anybody remember the title that we used for God from the book of Esther? Anybody? The Unseen Sovereign. So we said God is the Unseen Sovereign. He's the one in control, even when He's hidden from our eyes. 
And then last week, we saw that God exercising that control by being faithful to His people, remaining present with them. So that's great news, that God is in control and He's faithful. But maybe today you still have some questions. And maybe you think, okay, I get it. God's in control. He's the unseen sovereign. But can I really know Him? Can we really know God? So maybe that's your question today. Can I know Him? Maybe when you hear people talking about God, maybe when you're in worship and you hear God discussed, or you hear songs, you hear sermons, maybe as you sit in a home and open the Word with with friends and pray, maybe when you read the Bible on your own, you feel like you're, you're hearing a conversation that you don't know anything about. So it can kind of be like when you're at a dinner party and you find yourself in a group of people and after five minutes you realize, I have no idea what anybody is talking about. <laughs> so have you ever been there? So you're, you're drinking your punch and you're nodding and smiling and you realize, I have no clue what's going on. Um, maybe this happens in your staff meetings at work. Uh, <laughs> it never happens to me. Um, but... So what usually happens is someone will ask you, they'll say, after five minutes of you spacing out, they'll say, well, what do you think about that, Nathaniel? And so the smart thing is to make a thoughtful expression and say, you know, I really agree with what you've been saying. Um, (laughs) But then you walk away feeling pretty awkward and thinking, boy, I, I really don't know quite what was being talked about there. And if we're honest today, you and I have probably felt some similar awkward feelings. We could call them spiritually awkward feelings. When we hear people talk about knowing God, when we see it in the Scriptures and we nod and we think, yeah, I get that. And then if we're really honest, we we go, you know, I don't know if I fit in that conversation. I'm not sure. Can I really know Him? I feel like maybe I'm nodding along, but I'm not always getting what's being said. Can I really know Him? So I believe that the Bible today has a great answer for that question. It's an answer that will challenge us, it will encourage us, and I pray it will convict us. So that's the answer that we're going to look at today. If we look through Scripture and and we try to find some extended treatment, some big philosophical systematic argument that presents why we can know God, how it all works, how that makes sense since He's infinite and we're finite, if we try to find that sort of treatment, I think we'll come away disappointed. Um, As I study Scripture, it just doesn't present it that way. Instead, what happens in the Bible is, All throughout Scripture, the biblical writers simply assume that God can be known. It's their presupposition that they work from, from Genesis Revelation to to Revelation. God can be known. The Bible just says this happens, and it pictures it happening. It describes a God who makes Himself known. It describes people who know God. And then the Bible invites us to know that God. So I just did a quick search and I saw just in the English language between 80 and 100 times 
that the word know shows up and God is the object of knowing. And there's a lot more language than just words translated know that describe what it means to know God in Scripture. So who knows how many times this occurs throughout Scripture, but it's all over. The, the biblical writers assume that God can be known. And so this morning, we're going to look at just one of those passages that speaks of God being known. And we'll use this passage sort of as a springboard as we jump into a discussion of what the Bible has to say about what it means to know God. So the passage that we're going to begin with is in Colossians chapter 1, and it's verses 9 and 10. If you turn there in your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen, Colossians is kind of Oh, mid to two-thirds the way through your New Testament between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. And just a little background. So this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church at a city called Colossae. That's why the people there are Colossians. And he wrote it, and he begins by affirming what's good about the Colossians. So he says... If you just glance through verses 3 through 8, he, he recognizes that the good news of Jesus has come to the Colossians. They've received it, and it's spreading among them, even as it spreads throughout the whole world, and that they're growing up in that good news, that, that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. So he affirms them, and then he moves into a prayer. He shares a prayer, what he's praying, his hope for the Colossian believers. And so that's what we're going to look at, is the beginning of Paul's prayer. And it starts in verse 9. Paul writes, And so, from the day we heard, Paul's writing with Timothy, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, it's God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So in these two short verses, there's a bunch of important truths that, that we could mine, but today just let me point out a few, and then we'll, we'll get into a, a broader discussion of what the Bible has to say about this. So first, notice Paul says he's praying for you. We may not see it right away, but that you is plural. Paul is praying that the whole church at Colossae will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So sometimes, uh, actually I would think a lot of the time, we don't think like this. When we think of our spiritual health, we think just about me, uh, just about ourselves. And so just at the beginning of this prayer, let's let this inform the way we approach this whole series, that we say, no, God wants, He does want to do a work in me individually, but let's be unceasing in prayer for our whole church, for everyone here, that God will increase all of our knowledge of Himself. Secondly, notice that the result of being filled with the knowledge of His will, so in the middle of verse 9 there, the result is in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that, that image of walking, it's just a metaphor for a life lived. So the point of being filled with the knowledge of God's will is a changed life. So this isn't, when we talk about knowing God, we're not talking about just a, a head exercise. We're talking about something that changes the way we live. 
And if you notice, later in verse 10, it says, fully pleasing to Him. This changed life, it doesn't... It, it, well, let me think how to phrase this. It, it affects our desires and our affections. So that phrase, fully pleasing to Him, it could just as easily be translated in every desire to please Him. So the knowledge affects the way we live, but it also affects how, how our affections work and our desires. We need that sort of knowledge today. And then lastly, this life results in two things at the end of verse 10. It's a life that bears fruit in every good work and increases in the knowledge of God. So today we're going to focus in specifically on this second piece, on increasing in the knowledge of God. So here at Church on Mill, we believe that the book of Colossians, as with the rest of Scripture, is inspired by the Spirit of God. So that means that these words here in the rest of Colossians, these words that Paul wrote, are the exact words that God wanted to communicate to the church at Colossae. But since these words are inspired, they, they don't matter just for the Colossian believers. They matter for us today. And these truths have a bearing on our life today. So when Paul prays, when the Holy Spirit gives him the desire to pray that this church would be filled with an increasing knowledge of God, it's true to say that all believers everywhere, so us here today, that God's desire is the same, that we would increase in our knowledge of God. So the big truth that I want us to get today, and the main thing I want us to see, is, is this idea that God invites and enables us to know Him in increasing measure. So we can see that right away in the passage we just looked at. Paul says he wants the Colossians to increase in their knowledge of God. But we can also see this throughout the rest of Scripture. So let's just break down this statement piece by piece and let's hold it up to the light of God's Word today. So first we say God invites. He invites us to know Him. I believe that God invites us to know Him by revealing Himself. So if God had not chosen to make Himself known, we would have no hope of knowing Him. And we would have no ability to know Him if He hadn't revealed Himself. But the truth is, and this is from the beginning of Scripture to the end, the truth, and this is the grace of God, God has revealed Himself. And He invites us today to consider what He has revealed and to learn of Him. So the Bible teaches that God has revealed Himself in three major ways. First, God invites us to know Him by revealing Himself in creation. So you probably know Romans 1.20 says, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. They is talking about sinners like you and I. We have a witness in creation of God's work in His nature. We read earlier this morning from Psalm 19, which says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. 
So we're invited to know God by His revelation in the created universe. Second, God invites us to know Him by revealing Himself in the inspired Word of God. This is in the Bible. We're invited to know God through His Word. So Psalm 19, which we read earlier, after talking about creation, how it reveals God, then it moves on and says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So we should view the Bible as this well that is deep with the knowledge of God. And it's a well that will never run dry. And it's also this water in this well, the Word of God, it's living. And if we'll listen, even today we can know God speaking, and therefore we can know God by paying attention to the Scriptures. Third, God invites us to know Him by revealing Himself in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at this in much more detail in a few weeks. But for now, let me direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, this is Jesus Christ, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Do you think of Jesus that way? Because that's how the Bible invites us to think of Jesus. We can look to Jesus Christ and know God. So God's invited us through what He's revealed to know Him. But we all have a sin problem. And so we need more than just an invitation to know God. We're born into a sinful world and we have sin within us. And because of sin, we miss the point of God's revelation or we just outright reject it and resist it. And we fail to know God. So 1 Corinthians 2.14 says it this way. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So we've got a sin problem that prevents us from knowing God. But the good news today that I want to share with you is that even as God initiated in revealing Himself, again He initiates and He provides a way for us to know Him. So Jesus promised in John 16 that the Holy Spirit would be sent to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the New Testament then teaches that when a sinner learns what Jesus has done, when a sinner yields to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, when we respond in faith to the good news that Christ has paid for our sins, that He's risen again, conquering death and sin, there's a miraculous work that happens. And and the Holy Spirit actually comes to indwell a person. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him, this is Christ, you also, 
When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So this is a mystery. I don't know how it works, but somehow the Holy Spirit actually indwells each of us individually who have placed faith in Jesus Christ. And so in that indwelling, we're we're enabled to know God. He doesn't just invite us. He enables us. And our eyes are opened. We're given new life, but we're also given new vision by the Holy Spirit of God to know God Himself. So this is grace that God invites and enables us to know Him. This is His initiative when when we are undeserving, when we are resistant, rebellious, and full of sin, and yet He makes a way for us to know Him. So today you might so far think, you know, I think I get that. Okay, God invites, He enables us. But Nathaniel, you still haven't told me what in the world it means to know God. What does it mean to know God? So I believe that part of our problem when, when we ask a question like that, part of our problem in understanding what it means to know God is that, anyways, I often want to do this. We often want to know what it means to know God on our terms. But today we want to look at what does it mean to know God on His terms? So what does the Scripture have to say about what it means to know God? So today I'd like to highlight three ways that Scripture says we can know God. And let's just look at all three of them right now. We can know God by knowing the truths He has revealed. Second, we can know God in personal relationship through faith in Christ. We've already kind of hit on both of those. And third, we can know God by obeying God. So let's look at these individually. The first one, we can know God by knowing the truths He has revealed. We've already talked about God revealing Himself, but let's look at a scripture that speaks to the way we know God through His revelation. Would you just read aloud with me a few verses from Psalm 119? Can we read this together? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So do you see that the psalmist here is seeking to know God, and he's seeking to do that by knowing God's commandments, by knowing God's word. So you and I are invited to do the same thing. We're invited to know God by meditating on the Scriptures, by believing them. He's given us a revelation of who He is, and we can know God through that revelation. Secondly, we can know God in personal relationship through faith in Christ. So we said earlier that the Bible assumes that we can know God. It also assumes that that knowledge of God is relational knowledge. And this is clear by all the relational titles that are given for God. When you think of the titles the Scriptures use, it calls God a father. That's a relational title. It calls Him a husband, a bridegroom, a comforter. And we could go on listing relational titles that are given for God. 
So we're invited to know God in relationship. Jesus Himself isn't just called God, our King, our Savior. He Himself has relational titles. He's called our Advocate. He's called our Priest. He's even called our Brother. So that's a mystery that God Himself would identify with us in that way. Romans 5, no, Romans 8, 15, 16 says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So in Christ, we have this great freedom to interact with God in personal relationship. We can listen to His voice through the indwelling Holy Spirit. We can listen to His Word in the Scriptures. But we also, it's a dynamic relationship. We are called to throw our burdens and share them freely with God. We're even called in the Psalms to voice our questions and our doubts to God in faith. And so the Bible invites us to know God in personal relationship. And this happens through faith in Christ. Third, and this one is the most different for us. This We don't think of knowing a person by doing what that person says. But the Scriptures say we can know God by obeying God. So this is especially prominent in the book of 1 John. 1 John 2.3 says, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Do you see there how keeping His commandments and knowing Him are compared? And you might think, well, that maybe that's something weird that's just in 1 John. It's actually throughout Scripture. It's even in the Old Testament. You might remember King Josiah in a time when Judah was filled up with rebellion and idolatry and injustice. Josiah called the people back to obeying God's Word. He tore down the monuments of idolatry. He reinstituted, he reinstituted the Passover, calling people to remember what God had done. And he acted in justice. And listen to what God says about Josiah in Jeremiah 22. He, Josiah, judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. So there's a bold statement that doing what God required is equated with knowing God. So the Bible teaches we can know God by obeying God. But please, I don't want you to misunderstand me today. I'm not saying that you and I can earn the right to know God by some effort of obedience of our own that we muster up in our own strength. If I can just do enough of what the Bible says, I'll earn the right to know God. So that, that's not grace. But grace is saying that God indwells our hearts through faith in the Holy Spirit, and He leads us into acts of obedience that actually deepen our knowledge of God that's already been given us freely in Jesus Christ. So these three that we looked at, they all overlap and feed into one another. We, we know what God's revealed, and then we can better obey God. In personal relationship, our hearts are stirred and our affections are stirred, so we have a, a greater desire to obey God and to go back to His Word. So these all work together, and it's 
critical that we not neglect any of them. But the truth is, we all prefer and kind of lean towards doing one or the other and neglecting the other. So some of us, we really love number one. And we think, I just want to know God by mining the depths of Scripture and exhausting it. And that's how I want to know God. Um, But you forget that you're called to share your burdens with God. You're called to sit silently in His presence, to be still and know that He's God. So you miss number two. And maybe you miss obeying God. Then there's other people who, who just think, you know, it doesn't really matter, all this stuff in the Bible, what I think or, or even how I pray. God just wants me to, to do good. So I'm just going to devote my life to doing the right thing. But that misses the full picture of what it means to know God too. So don't neglect any of these three. They all work together. So our big idea today was that God invites and enables us to know Him in increasing measure. And we've looked at His invitation, His enabling, what it means to know Him. And that last piece now is what we turn to. That we're invited to know Him in increasing measure. This comes right out of our verse in Colossians. Remember, I want the Colossians to increase in the knowledge of God. But it's not just in Colossians. This, this actually points to a truth and to a tension that is in the Scriptures all throughout. And, and this is the tension that this points to. God, on the one hand, can be known. The Scriptures say that clearly. And on the other hand, God is unsearchable. And those things don't contradict each other. They're both true. Unsearchable, though, when we use that word, there's a few different definitions of it. I looked it up in an English dictionary. It can mean you cannot search something. Um, that's not what this means. The Bible says we can search the Scriptures. We can invest and dig deeply into a relationship with God. But there's another definition, and that's what we mean with unsearchable. And that's unfathomable, mysterious. It means as much as we search, we'll never exhaust who God is. So when we say God is unsearchable, what we're saying is that you and I can search the depths of God forever and we'll never run out of things to discover and things to delight in God Himself. So that's the tension that Scripture gives us. God is unsearchable. He's he's bigger than we can imagine. And yet... He can be truly known. So that's grace that a God like that can be truly known. So Wayne Grudem describes this in a really helpful phrase. He says, we can know God truly, but we can't know God exhaustively. And we run into error when we go towards either one of these and forget the other one. So sometimes we can go towards the one side that says God can be known and we forget that God is unsearchable. And we think, I am going to dig into Scripture. I'm just going to figure it all out, fit all the knowledge of God into my head. I'm going to create my own framework for understanding and it's going to fit in my brain and I'm going to know God. And we forget God is unsearchable and our pride puffs up and we get a sense of control. We need to remember then that the Bible says how unsearchable are God's ways. How unfathomable are His judgments. The way God works is beyond finding out. 
And then we need, like Job, to, to put our hand over our mouth and say, I, I've spoken of things that I don't know. But we can also err on the side that says God is unsearchable. Sometimes we can say, you know, God's just too big. He's too amazing. I can't really know anything true about him. He's God. How can you really say anything definitive about God? And then we need corrected by Jesus' own words. Jesus says that the Father's word is truth. Jesus says that we don't live on bread alone, but we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we have to hold these in tension. God can be known truly because He has revealed Himself. And yet, because we're finite and God is infinite, we can never exhaust the riches of who God is. And because of that, we can know God in increasing measure and we're invited to from here and throughout eternity. So within this tension, we have the ability to to hold firm convictions about things that we don't fully understand. And this is a beautiful thing. So next week we're going to talk about the Trinity. So the Trinity goes in the piece that says God can be known. God has revealed that He's three in one. We can know that. But do we know how that works? Is it right for us to say, let me explain to you exactly how all that happens metaphysically and philosophically. Or should we just say, God is unsearchable. He's wonderful. And when we hold those both, we can say, no, I stand firmly on the Word of God even when my brain can't wrap around what it says. I say it's true because God has revealed it and it's God's nature to be beyond what I can completely figure out. So in that tension, there's a place for our faith to thrive There's a place for our knowledge of God to thrive, and there's a place for our humility and worship to thrive. So as we grow in our knowledge of God, as we accept the fact that God can be known, and yet we can't exhaust everything there is to know about Him, I just encourage you to remember that all of this is of grace that God initiated by revealing Himself in the first place, that He enables, He convicts by the Holy Spirit, He indwells our hearts, teaches us to know Him. So as we close, what might all this mean for us? That God invites and enables us to know Him in increasing measure. Well, if you're here today and you're a believer, you've placed your faith in Christ, this means you can know God and you're invited to know God in increasing measure. So go for it. Don't neglect any of the three that we talked about. Search the Scriptures and listen for God's voice. Engage with God in prayer. Don't be put off. Continue. Persist in prayer. Recognize that the Bible says that through faith in Christ, you can approach God as your Father. But also, don't neglect to obey. Recognize that that's a way that God can grow you in your knowledge of Him. So we can do this best by just looking to the example of Jesus. He fully relies on God's Word. He depends upon the Spirit in personal relationship, praying to God. And He obeys perfectly God's will. So we can look to Him. And I'd encourage you, seek God, seek to know Him.
more fully. And today, if you're here and you know that you don't know God, you say, I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ. I can tell you today on the full authority of God's Word that you are invited to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you will believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died for your sins, that He rose again, if you will recognize, I'm a sinner, I need a God like that, I need a Savior who can deal with my sin, then the Bible says you can know God And that same Spirit that convicts your heart of those truths, it can indwell you and teach you to cry out to God as Father. You can know Him. So I'd encourage you today, place your faith in Christ and find that you can know God. Let's pray together. Father, I confess that I have not known you as I should. I've often neglected to give my full attention to how you've revealed yourself in creation, in the Word that you've graciously given us, and in Jesus Christ. And I've also failed to keep a sense of wonder that I can know you increasingly I pray that you would renew in me and renew in all of us today a motivation that says, Lord, we long to see you in greater and greater ways. We long to know you in deeper ways. You are worthy and you should be the object of our greatest desire and we should long for that. Stir that in our hearts, Lord Jesus, as we, as we work through this series looking at who you are. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.